Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rippling Pages podcast with me, Liam Bishop. And today I'm joined by James Clark. He grew up in the Rosendale Valley, situated near Greater Manchester and the Pennines. The industrial and post-industrial towns of the north are often a constituent element of his novels. Whether it's the Yorkshire mining communities in his first novel, The Litton Path, that also won in the Betty Trask Prize, or whether his second novel, Hollow in the Land, that M. John Harrison described as contrasting between fantasy and realism, they flicker like the lights on the abandoned quarries, the ailing sawmill, the dingy pub. Likened to John McGregor, James's new novel, Sanderson's Isle, might join fans of Ballard with its focus on a young man's speak, searching for his father under the wing of a mercurial, drug-fueled TV presenter called Sanderson. We start in London before we move to the Lake District in this chaotic quest. Uh, James, welcome to the Rick and Pages podcast. Um, this is my second episode in a row, actually, with, uh, with Lancashire. Uh, we had Blackpool last time, uh, and we're back in Lancashire. So any Yorkshire listeners knowing that I'm obviously from Leeds, Yorkshire, uh, do forgive me, but, uh, you know. Yeah, cheers for having me on. <laughs> All right, let's... Uh, let's Lancashire as well. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's get straight into it. Um, so yeah, the novel's called Sanderson's Isle. We don't meet Sanderson at first, but he's obviously a very important character. Um, can you just tell us who Sanderson is and why our narrator is so compelled by him? Sanderson is basically um, a failed writer and a literary critic and uh, TV presenter who's fallen into a kind of reluctant fame via the, the BBC. He's written a book that's taken him into this position where he's ended up right, uh, presenting this uh, almost like a, a country file of its time. Uh, and he's based loosely apart behavior-wise upon the artist Francis Bacon, who lived a pretty dissolute uh, life in and around Soho in the 60s. And he's based also upon the uh, the writer Ian Nairn, who was an architectural critic uh, of, of the mid-20th century, basically, who was a big-time drinker um, and was always sounding off about against the establishment and, uh, and was just a, a, a really a brilliant and very brilliant individual. There's also an element to Sanderson where he's sort of like this pivotal figure within a countercultural scene um, in and around the sort of King's Road, which was a big area in the 1960s at the time for like a lot of like the hippie movement sort of like countercultural figures uh, used to like revolve around there. And, that, and that's where Sanderson is sort of situated. And the novel is narrated by uh, a sort of outcast named Thomas Speak, who's journeyed down to London. Uh, on a little, on a quest to try and find out who he is, really, um, to find his father, and he and he and he runs into Sanderson pure, purely by mistake, really, and then he falls into his orbit, and then the sort of the charisma of the man and the, and his status and who he is and the way he interacts and um, I guess belittles Tom is 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 something that it, it really drives the book. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. And I, I wanted to I wanted to start with Sanderson because it is presence is kind of felt even when we haven't met him. That there's this sense that this narrator Thomas Speak is is finding someone, even though he's finding his father, but he's looking for someone. He's looking for some kind of figure that's missing in his life, and it becomes Sanderson. And it's what is it then in that initial meeting? I don't know if you can tell us a little bit about that that initial meeting that they have, and and why it is that that the narrator speak wants to go on this quest with him speak basically travels to london as i said to try and track down his long lost father he's an illegitimate he's been the result of an affair at a hospital and so we come that's taking place in the 30s and as a result of that uh being a product of this affair 
found himself dropping out of society. He's basically unaccepted everywhere he goes, purely by the advent of his birth. Never mind that he's northern working class. He's got this sort of slightly foreign perspective, like outlook to him. He looks a little bit unusual. He doesn't know where he comes from. So he goes down to London to try and get um, a kind of like a read on that um, because he's just been dislocated and knocking around for years and years and years as a drifter. Um, he then basically arrives at a house in, uh, in Chelsea where he thinks his father's going to be. He, the father is not there, but Sanderson is. So what he finds in his search for a father is not the man himself, but it's a father figure. And then they basically run into each other a little bit later on that night after a combustible first meeting when Speaker's looking over the wall of the garden and he catches Sanderson up to no good. And Sanderson sort of chases him out of town and they run into each other again later at a pub. And then from that point on, they just sort of start to try and work each other out, figure each other out. And I guess it's the book is all about that idea about like, we are all essentially alone. And as a bit of a depressing thought, I guess, but it's about the essential tragic solitude of our condition. And both of these characters, as all the characters in the book are undergoing that, like that, that sense of realization and feeling of, of it. And if they don't, if they haven't realized it, they've felt it. It's kind of about like that, that prelapsarian feeling of recognizing and, and knowing that who you are and what and, and what you are. They're kind of like trying to push and pull at each other, Sanderson speaks, to try and understand each other the whole time. And neither of them is able to do so. Um, it's about belonging trying to define yourself even if to define yourself is in opposition to something else why it, so to pick up on that that final point and why and you spoke about in uh, and francis bacon and their kind of personalities why was it that particular dynamic then that you thought was most appropriate to explain that well bacon was all about I mean, if you look at a lot of his artworks they're all a bit of an existential scream aren't they and they kind of have that idea about being being trapped and trying to um, express yourself as you can through that notion of being trapped and that like that wheat paste and cut and paste like formulation of an identity, and that is kind of like you're you're in opposition to something at all times. You're like trying to find your way out of yourself and express yourself, and you you do that all the t- in everything you do. You're always trying to find some degree of of self expression. And it often is in, in opposition to the social circumstances of your time. And, or, or it might be in, in social, by social, I don't just mean out and about on the street. I do mean within your family as well, because there's always a social dynamic within that too. I think that Thomas Speak has always experienced that. He's all, he was, as I say, was the product of this affair in a hospital. And then as a result, has been, been rejected by his mother, but still been raised by on on the the premise of a of a lie where she's told him that she's his aunt when in fact she's actually his mother and then he's also been palmed off on other people so he's always fallen out of every single power structure that he's involved in um and he's always pushed out and made and, and rejected everywhere he feels he doesn't have that he never had those things you need as a kid right you need love you need care you need affirmation boundaries uh, validation like, and he's never had any of those things. And and I guess Sanderson has never either. Each man sees in the other a kindred spirit to a certain extent, as well as a, a, a son, as well as a, an experiment. Take us then on a little bit of, of their journey where Sanderson and Speak go and, and what 
the, where the, they're going and kind of what the purpose of that is, because there's quite a distinct purpose. Speak basically, even when you meet new people, they're trying to ask him where he's from, who he is, what he does. They're kind of taking the piss out of him, and he doesn't really know why. And he's kind of he embarks upon a, what is essentially a series of quests. The first being this aforementioned search for his father. He also is, is the other quest is the uh, the, the his attempts to uh, seduce his uh, his landlady. The third quest beyond that is basically to evade the law following uh, a, a disastrous accident that, young, that that occurs right at the start of the book, which sort of powers a lot of his behaviour. And then this accident basically compels him into the arms of Sanderson as a means of escape. So Sanderson becomes not only a, um, a surrogate father figure, not only a way to define himself and belong, but also a vehicle with which he can evade the authorities following uh, something that Thomas does right at the start of the book. And from there, Speak finds a pretext to find that notion of belonging, uh, to sorry, to define himself within that notion of belonging and, and to potentially get himself out of his social situation that he's currently stranded in because he, uh, he, he, he has nothing. But he, by going embarking upon this mission with Sanderson, he can define himself and, and gain something. And, and that mission is ultimately to find uh, a young boy uh, who is in a, uh, a hippie who's been hiding out in a hippie commune up in the ninety up in the uh, in the Lake District. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. There is, and it is obviously a very serious novel. And some of the very you know you've given us an insight into the you know serious themes, but it is a lot of fun. It kind of it also calls to mind these kind of road trip novels, um, and especially kind of especially of that era, the '60s era, you know, drug fueled sort of road trips. Uh, I think Kerouac does get mentioned in there, doesn't he? But um, but there's even something of I don't think you would agree with this or not, but of I was sort of reminded of Humbert Humbert in a way, which is a road trip uh, novel, slightly dark, insidious nature that sort of compels people to be taken, uh, go with you know people like uh, Sanderson, albeit not on the kind of grand scale that uh, Humbert Humbert was. I wanted I wanted to write an adventure basically that still had something to say. So although I've like brought in Francis Bacon and Ian Nairn, all these lofty ideas. It's a, it, it's it's kind of like it's a blackly comic existential thriller, basically, where they just yeah they embark upon this mad quest, and yeah, I guess there's a bit of a with nail and eye element to it. It's like yeah, the the what's it that Terry Southern book, the Magic Christian, it's been compared to of late, which um and yeah. A good book that I read actually that was that really inspired me was um, and it's very different, but it was uh, the Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt that um, would seem to me a similar sort of vein where it was on the face surface of it, it's an adventure about two brothers in the Wild West trying to track something down with going on a quest, uh, but it's also about yeah about that fraternal rivalry need the need to belong or not and about like yeah the hollow hollow nature of seeking gold because in that the two brothers are they're, they're seeking someone out who's basically managed to achieve the holy grail of alchemy and i loved it and I, I wanted to do to write something that was able to achieve i wanted to have a similar achievement basically it's that kind of uh, lawlessness as well that seems to inspire these stories they're not people just going on a road trip usually there's kind of lawlessness to and that comes from a lot of things doesn't it that you've that you've, that you've spoken about the kind of 
drug fullness of it, the kind of outsiderness, the kind of you know vagrancy of it. How why is why is it usually lawlessness that surrounds these trips? I guess you can't answer for everyone, can you? But no, but they, but they do seem to be a common denominator in lawlessness because it, or or a, or a need to escape or a need to go and shape the snow globe, I suppose, and just like emerge as a new self in some regard, which a lot of literature shares as a central theme, I, I find. They tend to go out of, they shrug off the shackles and they go out into a new wilderness, a new unknown, I guess, to try and find something new and, and wonderful and what they discover usually tends to be nothing except themselves um but which is which is the discovery in itself um and and i i guess my in sanderson's isle they go from the the city to the country and that's always been a part of of, of my books to a certain uh extent where like the 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 power of the of the, the metaphorical power i should say and the physical power of the, of the of the outdoors and what and what it represents because in the city you've got that you've got the imposition haven't you of society like and, and work you know the dehumanizing like toes as philip larkin said of work squats on you with all its rules and you got all that overwhelming lack of space in the city and like the uh, decaying of industry and like you know at the same time that excitement and that energy and that possibility and the human interaction all that is to be left behind when you go to the outdoors um you know like i guess my first book right was the litten path and that was all about the a family involved in the mining strike in 1984 um, but that that was about the need to um, escape, use the countryside for escape, and like the idea of irretrievable change, I suppose. Um, and the second book was a novel in stories, all about people in a valley, like lodged in a valley, effectively, a, pl- a hollow place, and like, and how in that place you are a subject to stasis and like cyclical patterns of behavior that you will always re- keep returning to and repeating ad infinitum and then this new book sanderson's isle is about like the you, the vulnerability of your position uh, and the idea of alienation and loss that is like put into hyper focus on a you know on a mountainside in leeds on the 27th of july i'm going to be in conversation with poet and previous guest on the rippling pages charlie bayless Get your tickets, go to charliebaylisleads.eventbrite.co.uk. That's charliebaylisleads.eventbrite.co.uk. I'll find a link in the show notes. So in Sanderson's Isle, the characters do, they go to the lake shoot, don't they? They're kind of traveling around the, the lakes. and But he doesn't, still these kind of traces of humanity. They, they find things that, that are kind of man-made. Um, and there's a point at where I think it's Sanderson says, um, do traces of people get left behind in materials? Are there residual sounds and shared experiences, links between past and present, packed within the fabric of our of our daily uh, surroundings? Are they trying to escape, or are they looking for something still? They're always looking, and the, I guess as as time goes on, and we move further and further away from what the world was into like the Anthropocene where it's all, everything has been affected by people. 
everything like where that like you wherever you you're always looking for new things but all you will find is traces of former people having the same searches and thinking similar thoughts to you i guess in that time like that passage you just just described is where um takes place in a, a nuclear bunker the tail end the, the bloody dregs of, a, of, of an acid party basically yeah and uh and I guess you always get a, a frame has ever done hallucinogenics. It's always an element of clarity will appear and starting to question your surroundings somewhat. And that's exactly what the character does in the moment. He starts to think about like what came before, and what went into what is. But you kind of alluded to it there, the the sort of drug fuelness of, of this trip. And there's kind of trips between trips within trips, really. Um, I don't know if why was it important to have this kind of drug-fueled element to to the novel? Acid, you, you think of the 60s and you think of acid, but beyond that idea of psychedelia, what is it that you get from psychedelia? It's basically about a, a radical change in perception and and to become attuned with 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 your surroundings and with them with the people you're engaged with, and so like you sort of become attuned to like a higher it sounds a bit very fair but it's a higher power in a certain sense that's what it kind of feels like so I guess I wanted to talk about that idea about changing the way you view things and changing the way you look at things and how and how through drugs you find out a lot a lot about you you find out new things about yourself through drug taking you can do famously and it's just all about looking at the country in a new way this book and it's about using micro moments in historical points in time to talk about like the present so like a device like an acid trip where you shake up your perception and the way you see things like you see things in a whole new like a whole new ball game and that and that's ultimately what my books are trying to do like kind of sound off about the political present and the situations that people like thomas speak find themselves in the notion of like psychedelia and drug taking is kind of like again it's metaphorical and it also enables you to the characters to undergo moments of like visionary awareness and transcendence as well. Well, I guess what came first in the sort of the genesis of, of the novel was it this idea then that it had to be set in the 60s to sort of provoke that, or was it more a was it was it in these sort of two characters, Sanderson and, and Speak, to make those comments that you are making on on today, if you will? It it became important to me because. I thought the 60s was a good indicator of when things started to sort of go into a bit of a tailspin. So after the war, you you basically had uh, the building of the state, building of the NHS, for example, and building all the social housing and all that sort of like the, the new towns that were built around in, in the UK. And it was like trying to like do things for other people after the war everything had been so fucked up that like it seemed like people came together to sort it all out like let's do this for as a form of utopia yeah and in the 60s it started like the building started to crumble and like the you know there's you know the old the, the, you know the old tune about the day the 60s died i guess and it's like sort of went into the like the drabness of the 70s and then we ended up with thatcherism and then that you know we all know what happened after that so i guess like that's why i wanted to look at that time because it was a time when people were, were trying to do things a bit differently. And you also had that tune in dropout mentality where like people were starting to live communally and they were like, 
again shake up their perceptions about how things need to be. It was like, uh, like they were like, "It's peace and love, wasn't it?" That's that's not like that's not wrong. That is a, a good ethos, and also like being more attuned to the land and living, uh, yeah, and like shaking up the norms of what family structure is and what a social structure is, and like all these things. There were there were there were ideas that were considered in that times, I guess, and they were, and, and they, they got papoosh because they were they were. They weren't buying into the overall the dominant power structures of the time uh, that we we then followed to this current current predicament as I see it really. They, it feels like they these structures are sort of are crumbling and it's gonna it feels a bit like a metaphor for the organic. If you comment on the days to come, like all all my, all my books are basically moaning <laughs> in, a, in a way. Uh, Moaning in a, about the state of things, but trying to look for answers as well. It's probably futile, but at least it's good. It's an, it's an easy <laughs> exercise in utopianism for me. <laughs> Jay, uh, I, well, I don't know if it's futile, but um, I think people hearing this might, and who might not have read your novels before, um, I'm sure that we've got you know a fair few fans as well, but I think. Someone coming into this, I think there's a perception of this kind of northern writing, disassociation of sort of grittiness that really sort of grind grinds upon on me sometimes. This perception of people who write about north, the north, and, and and what it was like to live sort of through those periods, inequality essentially. But yeah. you, you are incredibly lyrical, and the image is incredibly important to you. It's a really powerful combination, I would say, that kind of lyricism for such that kind of subject matter. Power of language to 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 concoct that that free image is uh, is unparalleled, and, and uh, I, I think it, you just need to like know how to use it and wield it at the right time. Which I, I guess in my if you were to yeah read all three of my books, you'd probably see a, an evolution in trying to control it a bit more. Which is the nature of all of all artists and writers. Like you're always trying to hone your craft, aren't you? And voice as well, and writing with a bit of like a bit of welly. But I, I, I guess there's a bit of there's a real trend with a lot of spare posed prose styles, and uh, and that is great. But it, it's not really me. I write from lived experience would be a better way to put it, <laughs> I guess. And because I do that, because I do that, it, it gives it, I guess, that more of that personal character and flavour. All, all my favourite writers have done that. I'm a massive fan of Lucia Berlin. It was the, her collection, Manual of Cleaning Women, was uh, only re-released a few years ago. Yeah, so, I remember that. Yeah, so and it's like absolutely just like shook me up. And I loved it. I, yeah, it's amazing. It, it's it's an amazing book. And, and she wrote similarly. Just from you, you, you're reading that her her stories, and they're just like written in Technicolor. And I'm just like it makes my head pop, and I, that's what I'm aiming for with with with, with everything I write. You know, I want to want to be shit. I want to be moved. I want to I want to have someone who's written from the heart. You know what I mean? Like not necessarily just like so staged and po- poised and thinking about everything in this very very clear crystal manner. I mean, do think clearly and uh, like with clarity, but like also don't forget to just like chuck some coal in the fire. Or, you know, just like really get with energy is that is that a kind of statement that that you're making or is do you think there's not enough of that or uh, I, I, do you know what yeah i do think there's not not enough 
people. I think a lot of people write from their head and they don't write from their heart. Relying too heavily on, on the idea rather than what the emotion is can be a bit constricting. It, the, well, the trajectory of the novel is... Um, I, I don't want to say that you wouldn't anticipate it, but it, it does... It only goes, it can't, well, it only extends, doesn't it? It gets more intensified. They don't re- retreat from, you know, sort of where it's taken. Uh, I take the book from a journey in a journey to find himself in London to a, to a point of self-acceptance um, in a very remote place where things shouldn't make sense, but somehow do for him. And uh, the character undergoes a profound psychedelic experience essentially, that helps him to reevaluate and come to terms with the inequalities and biases and unfortunate occurrences that have befallen him and that he's brought upon himself. Um, but in, in so doing, it brings about his own ruination. Yeah, uh, well, they find this is a novel full of lost people and they find more well, I don't know. Do you characterise the people in this commune lost or? I characterise them as found, but at the same time, he, he, these things are only temporary. Not to say that that sounds quite pessimistic, I suppose. Like, it, it's always a new, we're in a perennial state of being lost and found all the time. When I, well, when I was reading about communes, which I did a lot of documentaries about people who were doing it, I mean, the very few of these people who lived that life are still living it, but they all remember it well <laughs> they remember the feeling and where they, what it was and the rules that happened and where the actual human nature came through um, but yeah he, he, he basically yeah, the, the, the characters find themselves in this in this new society out in the wilderness basically and, uh, and, 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 in, and in these new places anything can happen where would they uh, where would they be now then if you know what kind of lives would they be living now, do you think? Well, if they're still alive, <laughs> which they might not be, because, uh, yeah, in terms of like the years advancing. I like to think uh, Sanderson will be some kind of uh, Joe Sanderson, the, the esteemed writer, critic, and uh, TV presenter, will be a part of the uh, part of the, the, the furniture, a fondly remembered... Uh, talking head upon documentaries and uh, and maybe write that book that he's always alluded in that everyone would always adore him for, but I doubt he would have written, written it. And speak himself, I imagine that I'd like to think I'd like to think he's found a sense of peace that um that is so that eludes him for much of the novel until right at the end when he uh when it when it sort of rises out of the stars for him. I hate judging I hate judging characters. I think like you have to have respect for people's like origins and like, mm. where they came from, who they are, whatever they yeah. are. They make like bad choices, like he does in the book. I mean, he does. You know, he's not. He's a guilty person. He he mm. he, he commits crimes within the book, but I, I, you never want to judge him because I mean, every person who's ever done anything, there was a reason for it. No, absolutely, and it's it. It's. I think that's kind of what helps with the, the sort of tone of the voice of it. You kind of you buy into it, don't you? You buy into that narrative arc. Otherwise, you, you know, making judgments too early. Uh, yeah, it inhibits that journey that you take with them, and it's kind of 
it's how he sort of goes along with there's so many secrets i think in the novel yeah in the form of the, and it's how he goes along with someone else's sort of secret and kind of guilt about withholding his true intentions yeah it's it is about the secrets we're keeping inside ourselves and how we're all trying to access everyone else's secret and uh even if you get when you get to the bottom of it it might not be all that which mm. is a, a disappointment you have to face but you you want it to be fun the the, the the journey and the search is what makes it so much fun it's that kind of belief in the revelation is it you know that yeah. we get that there's it all there's much going to click at some point and that's going to reveal everything we thought yeah. we kind of needed that's to know about so. it is all about a search for revelation it always and then you get a revelation and it's like oh yeah there's not that big insight is there what the fuck's this like, <laughs> and like then they go on elsewhere that's why he's trying he's always trying he thinks like Rob is going to be a, a way out of his situation but it's not he thinks that going to a party and getting invaded going his way into like this guy's world is going to be a way out of this situation or just something to do it's not yeah. it is but it isn't <laughs> Sanderson's Isle uh, is out on the 13th of July. James Clark, though, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you uh, about it. And yeah, when it's out, go and buy it. But for now, James, it's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Nice one. Thank you. Thanks again to James for joining me on the Rippling Pages podcast. And of course, my thanks to you for joining me as well. Next time, I'm going to be joined by Nia Quay Parks, and we're going to be talking about Azuka's new novel from Pete Beltry.